Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're going to talk about air quality today. The Cash Clean Air Consortium is holding workshops on Monday in Logan. And uh, quoting from the Cash Clean Air Consortium, as our second annual series of workshops, this is the next level of the clean air conversation in Cache Valley, where we move past the low-hanging fruit and have a conversation about some of the systemic changes that need to take place in order to really start putting a dent in our pollution problem. Later in this program, coming up in about a half an hour, we're going to be talking with uh, Jordy Guth, who's on the Planning Commission uh, Committee for the Cash Clean Air Consortium and the Cash Discount Solar Program. She's an architect and campus planner based in Logan. We'll talk about solar power. We begin the conversation today with Ari Bruning from Envision Utah. Envision Utah is participating in one of the workshops. They worked with Clean Air Action Team in Utah to frame scenarios for the future of Utah's air quality as the state almost doubles in population by 2050. Ari Bruning is with Envision Utah. Uh, he's an AICP certified planner, graduated magna cum laude from Harvard Law School, where he was an editor of the Harvard Law Review. And uh, some of the titles of his articles there, the TDR Siren Song, The Problems with Transferable Development Rights. Also, uh, Old Regionalism, New Regionalism, and Envision Utah, Making Regionalism Work. Ari Bruning, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Uh, my, my first question is a personal one. You, you, uh, you know, magna cum laude from Harvard Law School. I, I assume you could have your pick of anywhere to go. <laughs> you ended up in Utah. Well, I grew up in Utah. Oh, you grew up in Utah. Home. You came back home. All right. Yeah. <laughs> not, not that you shouldn't want to come to Utah, but you know anybody. But uh, <laughs> well, uh, so. you know, three three years on the East Coast was fun, but uh, Utah's <laughs> home, and I missed our mountains. Great, great. I, you know, I was envisioning that uh, Utah was such a magnet. Uh, that, uh, that you, you just couldn't help coming to Utah. Anyway, Utah has some specific and unique uh, problems, and uh, one of those is, of course, uh, at times during the winter and, and during the summer, parts of Utah are, have the unique distinction of being uh, some of the worst air in the, in the, uh, in the, in the country. Uh, so Envision Utah is partnering up with the Clean Air Action Team. So uh, d- tell me about the this... Uh, the, the studies, I guess you've taken surveys. What else have you been doing? Uh, well, about, uh, let's see, when was it? At the end of 2013, I think, the governor asked us to convene the Clean Air Action Team. He invited a number of participants, from you know, everything from the advocacy groups to business and industry with the uh, mandate to make recommendations to uh, the state and to others about things we can do to tackle air quality. And at the same time, we were kicking off what's known as Your Utah, Your Future, which is an effort to come up with a vision for the state as we almost double in population by 2050. And air quality was one of the issues we wanted to tackle. So the, the Clean Air Action Team tackled that issue for that purpose as well. And they, they came up with uh, uh, three different air quality scenarios for 2050. And then we took those to the public in a survey in April and May and... Uh, Almost fifty-three thousand Utahns weighed in. Well, that's 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 a really big response. Yeah, it's actually uh, much larger than for any other effort in the history of the United States that we know of. Yeah, so, so we that, have people who care about the future. That should be uh, quite statistically valid. Uh, so, uh, tell me a bit about the scenarios. What what was presented to people? Um, 
Well, we had one scenario, which is we don't do anything different, and then we had two where we take some, some steps to reduce our pollution. Now, the good news is even by doing nothing different, the air in 2050, as near as we can tell, would be cleaner than today because uh, the federal government has enacted what's known as Tier 3 standards for cars. So starting in about uh, 2018, cars will need to be cleaner. Um, now, the bad news is in 2050, because of population growth, we won't be in compliance with our with the clean air standards mm, okay. unless we take some additional actions. That uh, that's surprising to me. If we do nothing, we'll still have cleaner air in 2050. I guess that, right. because of regulation. Right. Thanks. Thanks to uh, cleaner automobiles. Y- yeah. Uh, interesting. So that could take some of the wind out of the sails of uh, uh, you know groups like the the Cash Clean Air Consortium. They're they're pushing for. I think more things than than federal regulation. Well, that, that, that's that's the bad news, as I said. That if even even with those cleaner cars, we'll still be out of compliance with the clean air standards by 2050, mm-hmm. just because of population growth. Um, and what we found was that today most of our pollution is from cars, but by 2050, the cars get cleaner, but we have more homes and businesses, and we all have a furnace and a water heater in our basement. And those produce uh, NOx, which goes into the air, and through chemical reactions, that produces the particulate matter in the winter that we're concerned about. Mm. And the number of homes and businesses doubles as we grow. So, I want to talk about um, perceptions of, of what actually produces uh, air pollution. This is from a, a slide presentation I found on, on the website of Envision Utah. And this is, uh, I think you asked people, what are the sources of air pollution? I wonder if we go through that a bit. And and people were off. People didn't, uh, you know, they they, they didn't uh, they didn't get the prize. <laughs> yeah, they. Um, I don't have it in front of me, but uh, if I remember right, they they were right. They got cars right as the number one contributor, but then close behind it, they said was was industry. Right, and I think that there is that is perception that's out there, isn't it? So if if that we is the perception is out there, and you know the truth is on on the Wasatch Front, it's about eleven percent industry. And about 50% cars, and then the rest is what's known as area sources, which is your water heater, your your paint drying, and so on. Um, in Cache County, the amount of industry is on, almost negligible. So it's it really is, it's cars and it's our homes and businesses. Mm-hmm. And you know, people like to think it's industry. I think because then you can blame somebody else rather than yeah. yourself, right? Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, and then then you know you can regulate industry, and then then problem goes away, perhaps you know in your mind. I, I just want to go right. through the, these numbers. The perceived contribution of vehicles forty four percent, actual contribution fifty seven percent. So you know that's that's quite a disparity. And over on industry, perceived contribution thirty nine percent is as you said, uh, industry uh, actual source is eleven percent. So that that's pretty skewed. And area sources, the perceived contribution was 17%, actual contribution, 32%. So I, I guess maybe part of this is education, to, so that we know actually where the pollution is coming from? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, it's ra- rather than pointing fingers at somebody else, I think each one of us needs to look in the mirror and realize we're contributing to this problem. Uh, so uh, part of this, uh, you know, is regulation. You say the... 
uh, you know, federal regulations are having and will have a, a good effect, on, you know, at least on the do-nothing scenario. Uh, but if 57% is vehicles, uh, then a lot of this is going to have to be behavioral change, isn't it? Yeah. There are, there are a few things we can do behaviorally. One is um, when you buy a car, on the window sticker, there's the gas mileage. There's also a number for the smog rating. And the last time I bought a car, I didn't even look at it. But that smog rating matters. If you, if you, the typical car you buy today is about a smog rating of six. And if you buy a smog rating of eight instead, your pollution reduces by about three quarters. And that smog rating of eight or higher is essentially what the federal regulation will require, phasing in starting in 2018. But you don't have to wait for federal regulation to buy a clean car. You can go buy one with a smog rating of 8, 9, or 10 today. Um, and then, you know, if you're going to buy a car anyway, check out the smog rating. Um, and then the second thing we can do is just in our, our driving behavior, um, you know, we can uh, drive less, we can walk, bike, take public transportation. Um, one thing we need to recognize is I don't think a lot of people know that you have a catalytic converter in your car that cleans the exhaust before it goes out. And when the catalytic converter is cold, it doesn't work very well. So during that first minute or two after you start your car is when most of your air pollution comes out. So if we can, if you drive to the store and then half an hour later you get back in your car, your catalytic converter is still warm. So the more you can chain trips together go to the store, go to the post office, go to school, go to work, then you're going to pollute less. Whereas if you just turn your car on and back out of the driveway and pull back in, you've done most of the damage of pollution right there. Mm-hmm. Now, I think part of your survey, I'm looking at a slide here that uh, lists a you know, series of these behaviors that you've been talking about and asks, uh, you know, are, are you willing to, to do, I guess, one or more of these? And a pretty big Majority of people said they're willing to. I don't know if that actually translates into doing, but at least willing to. Right, yeah. Yeah, what people say they're willing to do and what they do tend to be not exactly aligned. But but we did find that of that list, about 99% of Utahns said they were willing to do at least one thing on that list. Mm-hmm. So that suggests all of us can do something, even if it's just not idling your car in the drive through or turning your thermostat down one or two degrees in the in the winter. Um, there are lots of little things that add up. What uh, What's going to be the tipping point, do you think? And I'm, I'm coming from this from, uh, you know, really bad smog days in Cache Valley, and it, it can get just really bad. Uh, the government, I don't know who put them up, they put up electronic signs, uh, you know, saying drive less, you know, help out. I, I think I didn't detect... <laughs> people driving less, the, the signs became kind of irrelevant. I, maybe some people, you know, responded By to them. By the time you see it, you're already in your car. Driving. Already in your car, but, 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 but even so, even more than that, if you see it the day before, you know, and then I, you know, I'm part of the problem. I'm in my car as well, and then I'm not seeing less traffic on the road the next day. And it kind of it makes you wonder, you know, what... What, what's it going to take for people to actually, in large numbers, start changing our behavior? Well, I think it comes down to convenience to a large extent. If it's going to take you an hour to take the bus and it takes you 20 minutes to drive, who's going to take the bus, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and 
you know, you have, you have fewer public transportation options in Cache County than we do on the Wasatch Front. But I think the, the more we provide those options, the more we design our communities so it's easier to get around without a car, the more convenient it is, the more people will have the option to do something other than drive. Um, I want to open the phone lines here. We'd love to know what you think and, and what's being done and, and, and success stories, perhaps, uh, uh, in your area. Uh, perhaps you're not in the, the uh, Cache Valley. We're talking about the Cache uh, Clean Air Consortium. That's uh, Workshops are coming up on Monday, and we're talking with Ari Bruning from Envision Utah. They teamed up with uh, the Clean Air Action Team to frame scenarios for the future of Utah's air quality. We're going to, projections are that we'll almost double in population by 2050. So uh, to to keep air clean, uh, something will have to be done. Um, and I want to know what you think. Uh, 1-800-826-1495. What are you doing uh, in your life? What, uh, what do you suggest and uh, what's being done in your area? We're going to talk about solar power coming up in the second half of the program. 1-800-826-1495. Or you can join us by email to upraxcess at gmail.com. Upraxcess at gmail.com. should say that uh, you can go to cashcleanairconsortium.org and register for the workshops that are coming up on Monday. Those will be happening at the Riverwoods Conference Center uh, in Logan. And uh, they'll be talking about, interestingly, um, a, a workshop addressed to parents and teachers on how to incorporate air quality education into the local school system. We're talking about business. UCARE will be leading a workshop to incorporate focus on institutions like business and public infrastructure. We'll be talking about public outreach and marketing with Dr. Edwin Stafford and others. And then the workshop that we're talking about here with Envision Utah, Scenarios for Our Future, uh, is is also available. That one, however, is full, so Good thing we're talking about it on the radio today. The number is 1-800-826-1495, and the email is upraxcess at gmail.com. We have with us uh, uh, Ari Bruning for another 10 minutes. So, Ari, I, I wonder uh, if we'd move uh, from cars then and, and some of that behavior uh, over to uh, one of the three main sources of, uh, of air pollution, and uh, that's the, the buildings, right? That's the So there's cars, there's industry, and then there's the... That's the second or third category, which is uh, sort of a catch-all. Uh, tell me a bit more about that one. Yeah, it's called area sources, and it it includes a lot of things. Um, it, you know, your your hairspray, for example, gives off uh, uh, air pollutants. But um, the the primary issue there in the future is going to be uh, nitrous oxide emissions, and that's primarily from burning natural gas. So that's our furnaces, that's our water heaters, and you know doing things like turning down your thermostat a little bit in the winter or um, putting in more energy-efficient appliances or um, insulation or windows or so on. All of that makes makes a difference. And the, the Air Quality Board actually just adopted a rule that the Clean Air Action Team recommended that uh, starting in a couple of years, any water heater you buy is going to be what's known as ultra-low NOx, means it operates the same as it, any other water heater, but it puts off less nitrous oxide pollution. So mm. the cost is roughly the same as a water heater you'd buy today, but less pollution. So all, all the solutions that you're mentioning, and I, I'm sure you know this is uh, you know standard, are sort of incremental. I think sometimes we want a silver bullet, don't we? 
We want to yeah. want to leap to renewables, and I'm sure you know we're going to talk second half of the program here about solar. Uh, but uh, is is that is that what you're saying? It's it's uh, it's a bunch of small incremental changes that can add up to cleaner air. Yeah, you know, it used to be at least on the Wasatch Front, a lot of it was industry. We've cleaned up industry a lot, and now there's you know there's no single silver bullet. It's a lot of small sources everywhere, from your car to your furnace to your water heater, and just a lot of small things we need to do. Uh, And, you know, uh, there's been a big push, the Obama administration for one, and uh, has been pushing industry to get away from coal, reduce coal. Utah's a big coal state. Uh, To natural gas, but natural gas produces pollution. Yeah, yeah, less so than coal, but it does produce pollution. Um, One thing we need to recognize, though, is most of our power plants are actually in rural parts of the state where we don't have the air quality issues. So... You know, it, it contributes to re- regional haze and things like that. But so I'm not sure moving away from coal is a huge solution for us in our urban areas. But um, we do have some natural gas plants in our urban areas that, you know, if you use less power, then those plants are known as peaking plants. So they, they kick in when we need the extra load. So if we, if we conserve and use less electrical power, then they don't need to run. So what, what what can business owners do with, with their buildings? What can I do as a homeowner? What, uh, you know, the area sources again? Um, um, energy efficiency? What what else? Well, the next next time you uh, replace an appliance, get an energy efficient one. Um, when we're building our buildings, we have the question comes up, what, how energy efficient should they be? Because in that scenario we did where we, significantly reduce pollution, we, we had to assume that every new building we built was 50% more energy efficient. So, for example, the, uh, the legislature this year will be deciding whether, our, whether to adopt the 2015 energy efficiency code for our buildings. And that would, that would make them, I think, about 30% more efficient than they are today. Hmm. We just have about five minutes left. I know you have to get to a meeting at uh, 930. I wonder if you tell me a bit about the other two scenarios. We talked about the do-nothing scenario, and that's better news than I would have thought. We do nothing. Well, still, because of federal regulations, well, you know, it still won't be, you know, total doom and gloom. Tell me about the, you know, the other two scenarios. Yeah, well, let me tell you about the most aggressive scenario in reducing pollution. What was, what we had to assume in that scenario to get there. Um, first of all, we had to assume that everybody drove 25% less per capita. So you think about how much more conven- convenient we'd have to make it to get around without a car to, to get you to drive 25% less. Um, we also had to assume that everybody drove a car that was at least a smog rating of 8, which federal regulation will probably drive. But we also had to assume that a third of people went beyond that and drove a, a car with zero tailpipe emissions. So an electric car, who knows, in 2050 maybe it's hydrogen fuel cells or something. Um, and then on the building side, we had to assume that uh, every home business that we build from now on is 50% more energy efficient, and that the existing buildings, we go back in, we retrofit them, you know, improve the windows and the insulation, and make them 30% more energy efficient. And then we also had to assume that wood burning declines significantly. So mm. those are some pretty aggressive actions that they, they are. make sure we were yeah. well under the healthy healthy air limit in 2050. 
So, uh, yeah, what, what's the outcome then under the most aggressive scenario? It uh, reduces emissions by about 40% versus today, even as we almost double in population. Okay. So puts us well under the standard. And, you know, by 2050, that standard is probably going to drop. So. Yeah, so that's, uh, but th- those are very ambitious, but, it you know, not impossible, I don't think. Yeah, I think it's doable. It's yeah. 35 years. What, so. what did people say about that? What did they think about the most aggressive scenario there? Well, that was far and away the one that people chose. So. Oh, okay. And they said they're willing to do the things that it took. So, right. I, I, <laughs> am I, am I just a cynical person to be a little skeptical that that people would actually, you know, do you know, because it's nice to say that we choose the most aggressive scenario in a survey, but when it actually right. comes to, as you mentioned, convenience. Right, right, and you know what you say you'll do and what you do may be two different things. But I think as we think about the policies that we enact, that's where Utah said they wanted to head. And so if they said we want to drive 25% less, well, as we design our communities and our transportation systems, how do we make it so that they can actually conveniently get there? Mm-hmm. I mean, nobody's going to go out and drive 25% less tomorrow. Well, some people will, but very few will. But how, how, do, how do we align our policies to make it convenient so that people can actually do what they said they wanted to do? Yeah. And I, I guess that is the key word, isn't it? Convenient. Would it, it do what we can to, but, which is logical. But will will there have to be some pain? I mean, we, you know, some of these, some of these, you know, I, I, I'm just trying to, you know, there's no free lunch kind of a thing. That's the phrase that comes comes to mind. I don't know whether, and, and to get us there, will there have to be regulation? I guess that's the bottom line. Well, I'd imagine it would take some regulation. I think, for example, the uh, making the buildings more energy efficient would probably take improving the building codes rather than waiting for the market to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the good news is, in terms of the trade-offs and the pain, there's not a lot. Um, you know, a more energy-efficient building costs more to build, but you save on your utilities, and the payback period is pretty short. So it actually makes makes it more affordable, even though the upfront cost is a little higher. Um, and the, you know, more energy-efficient appliances, similarly, they cost more, but you save over time. And so on. So, the the higher smog rating cars don't really cost any more. So, the the good news is that a lot of this is just a technological solution that doesn't doesn't create a huge amount of pain. Mm-hmm. Well, very interesting that there's a workshop coming up as part of the Cash Clean Air Consortium workshops. Those are happening on Monday at the Riverwoods uh, Center in Logan. Uh, one of the workshops will be uh, involving Envision Utah. They, they've they painted uh, different scenarios and uh, had this uh, big survey uh, involving air quality, among other issues. And we've been talking this part of the program with Ari Bruning from Envision Utah. Ari, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. And we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll be uh, talking more about uh, clean air, and and we'll link this up with solar power. Uh, Jordy Guth is on the planning committee for the Cash Clean Air Consortium and the Cash Discount Solar Program, which is an initiative of the consortium. She's an architect and campus planner based in Logan, and uh, we will talk more about this coming up following the break. Support for the Utah StoryCorps project is made possible by our members and Uinta Basin Healthcare in Roosevelt, founded in 1944, celebrating over 30 years of service, offering hospital, clinic, and pharmacy services. 
Details at ubh.org. And by USU Partners in Business Operational Excellence Half-Day Workshop, October 16th at the John M. Huntsman School of Business. Featuring guest speaker John Kim, Shingo Examiner and President of John Kim & Associates. Details at partners.usu.edu. What is a subject that you are passionate about? What do you know more about than most? Utah Public Radio wants you to share your knowledge and become a source for the Utah Public Insight Network, a new collaborative effort between UPR and the Salt Lake Tribune. Information you share could help our reporters create more in-depth stories on the things that you care about or more meaningful discussion on our flagship program, Access Utah. Become a source today. Join UPIN. For more information, visit us online at upr.org. Predatory. Green. Brown marmorated, gray, black and orange, red-backed. There are many species of stink bug in the U.S. You've probably seen them in your yard and were not aware of the damage they like to do to growing fruits. Think piercing, sucking mouth parts. Diane Alston is on the next edition of the Zesty Garden, along with a conversation about coconuts on Petals and Pros and canning tomatoes on Yes You Can. It's the Zesty Garden, Thursday morning at 10 from Utah Public Radio. If you send a rocket to Mars, how do you make sure it stops safely when it gets there? Well, on Discovery, I meet NASA engineer Anita Sengupta. She played a key role in helping to land the Curiosity rover on the surface of the Red Planet in 2012. But her journey into space began with a childhood passion for science fiction, sparking a desire to build things that go to other worlds. Join me, Kevin Fong, and Anita Sengupta for Life Changers, coming up on the BBC. Friday at 2, here on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're talking about air pollution and uh, if you're on the Wasatch Front or Cache Valley or the Yona Basin, you know what we're talking about. Um, and uh, luckily for us, large stretches of the year, we're, we're fine. It's, it's beautiful, but there are stretches that uh, make you just want to want to leave. I know people who've talked to me, uh, uh, you know, that they're planning on leaving. They just, they just, <laughs> just want to move because it just gets so bad. And so the... Uh, Groups like the Cash Clean Air Consortium are looking for solutions. Cash Clean Air Consortium is holding workshops on Monday. That'll be happening at the Riverwoods uh, Conference Center in Logan. And uh, there are several workshops. One is Education K-12, through Dr. Nat Frazier uh, from USU, along with uh, members from Utah Society of Environmental Education, Breathe Utah, Logan City Environmental Department. They'll be leading a workshop addressing to parents and teachers uh, how to incorporate air quality education into the local school system. There will be a workshop on business. UCARE is leading a workshop to incorporate focus on institutions like business and public infrastructure. There will be a workshop on public outreach and marketing. Dr. Edwin Stafford and others will be talking about marketing. And uh, we just talked in the last half hour uh, about Envision Utah, their work with Clean Air Action Team to frame scenarios for the future of Utah's air quality. Uh, so you can go to the website cashcleanairconsortium.org to register for workshops on Monday. We're uh, bringing in now uh, to the program, in studio with us, uh, Jordy Guth, who's on the planning committee for the consortium, also the Cash Discount Solar Program, which is an initiative of the Cash Clean Air Consortium. She's an architect and campus planner based in Logan. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Uh, so I-, I was reading it at the beginning of the program, 
from the consortium's uh, webpage. I just want to repeat that. As our second annual series of workshops, this is the next level of the clean air conversation in Cache Valley, where we move past the low-hanging fruit and have a conversation about some of the systemic changes that need to take place in order to really start putting a dent in our pollution problem. I'm hearing, uh, you know, clenched jaw determ- uh, determination there. I'm also hearing, a l- I detect a little bit of frustration that I think a lot of us feel that, uh, you know, we keep talking about this and we we do some things, but how can we really solve the problem? Is is Am I right to detect that in the... In well, the, that think, statement there? Yes, there, um, there's a lot of work that is being done, um, a lot of work that still really needs to get done. And we're hoping that the consortium can facilitate those discussions, not just those discussions, but those actions that really do need to take place. And it is generated. Um, the goal of the consortium is to generate local action. And um, by bringing together concerned citizens uh, and experts we're hoping to create the right mix in order to facilitate that. But you're right. We're trying to engage the business community um, in particular in this discussion this year. That's a particular focus. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, as well as, you know, the other ones you discussed. But we're hoping to change the focus to a little bit more institutional and business um, focus this year. What, uh, what was the response last year? The, la- the last year was the first one. Right, and it, it seems like you had pretty good, pretty good response. Yeah, we had great response. Um, it was our first, uh, our first event, and uh, there were a lot of great programs that came out of that. But um, we felt like this year uh, we would want to change the focus a bit um, to, you know, maybe move into different areas mm-hmm. that we could affect here in, in the valley. So I'm curious about what's working for you, and I'd love to hear from you. The toll-free number is 1-800-826-1495. doesn't have to be in Cache Valley, uh, you know, if you're on the Wasatch Front or anywhere else in Utah or, or anywhere you're listening. Uh, love to hear what's being done in your area and perhaps what you're doing. Maybe you could suggest something to us, what's working for you and what's working for your area. The number is 1-800-826-1495, and you can join us by email to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. I've been neglecting the email. We've had a couple of emails uh, come in uh, to upraxcess at gmail.com. Here's Brooke and Logan, uh, who says, here's my dilemma. I see that it's a red day, and I don't want to uh, contribute to the, to the problem. I also don't want to take my young son outside to walk instead of drive. I know there are face masks, but he won't keep one on. What's your suggestion? Just staying home if I can? This was directed to Ari in the first half, but I I, uh, didn't notice it come in. So I'll direct it to you. (laughs) Okay, yes. um, I think that's a great question um, that we all kind of grapple with on a daily basis, especially when the air is bad. So, you know, the consortium is really trying to bring new ideas to the, to the table. Uh, we do have a track in transportation this year, and hopefully we'll, that will generate some great discussion. But um, I would say what we have here in the Valley is a free bus system, and it does work for many people. Uh, I know it is not always as convenient uh, for others. Um, there's also the option to carpool. And then, of course, it does take resources, but if you have the resources, you can um, choose a vehicle that is a lower emission vehicle 
um, whether it's electric or hybrid or, um, or just a low-emitting vehicle. But those are some of the things that we uh, would suggest for those scenarios. And of course, if you can wear the masks um, and you are willing to do that, then that is a great option as well. Yeah. I posed that question to Dr. Ed Red. I think it's is you know involved in air quality issues, um, and he said, yeah, that's that's a good idea. You can you can wear a mask. Just make sure it's rated for, you know, the particulate matter that we that we get. Just make sure it's right highly rated. You do see a few people with those on in the winter time. Yeah, yeah, you do. Um, and I don't know if there's a social stigma, but but I you know, well worth it to uh, to counteract the health effects. I actually think it makes um, a good. A social statement in a way because it does allow other people to see that it's a bad air day. Maybe they are not aware of that. I hadn't thought about it that way. So a social statement. Yeah, I guess you're, you're saying, hey, <laughs> the air is bad. You know, kind of an advertisement about that. Here's another email that's come, come in. This is from uh, Sean Dammitz. Uh, he's, he says, one step forward that we've taken with the Division of Student Services at Utah State University is to, uh, to improve local air is implementing a bicycle commuter incentive program. This program, as sanctioned by the Federal Bicycle Commuter Act, allows for an employer to reimburse up to $20 per month for bicycle commuting costs. We're hoping to expand this within USU and Cache Valley. Sean Dammitz is uh, director of the Center for Civic Engagement and Service Learning at Utah State University. So that's, that's interesting. I hadn't known about that program. Yeah, it's a great program, and we hope that other departments will um, embrace that as well as other businesses within Cache Valley. Um, I think it's, it's a wonderful um, initiative, and it's a, it's a very positive step in the right direction. Um, and I think it also goes along with some of the other work that's being done um, by the city and the university to do some planning for bike infrastructure with the new uh, Logan City Bike and Ped Plan, where hopefully we can be putting in place the types of uh, infrastructure that facilitate bike movement um, in a better way within the city. So again, we're looking for your input here, looking for your suggestions. We can band together and help each other to uh, try to solve this uh, air pollution problem. I want to know specifically what you're doing, what's working for you, and uh, what's working in your area. The number is 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495, toll free. Or you can respond to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. Right now we're talking with uh, Jordy Guth, who is on the planning committee for the Cash Clean Air Consortium and the Cash Discount Solar Program. We're going to get talking about that. And uh, she's an architect and campus planner based uh, in, in Logan. So uh, a larger percentage than people knew when they took the Envision uh, Utah survey, uh, a percentage of the air pollution problem comes from um, that sort of catch-all category, which includes buildings and homes and, and uh, so forth. And so I guess that's where this fits in. Solar power right, can, can help. Uh, we'll get into talking about economic benefits as well, but uh, tell me about how solar power you know, fits into uh, contributing to solving the air pollution problem. Sure. Um, well, in last year's consortium, we had a group that was focused on buildings and energy as a topic. And, um, you know, a lot of the discussion has been more around transportation issues um, relating to air quality. But we felt like we really needed to address buildings and energy because it is a significant portion of the um, the air uh, pollution issue. So we uh, 
we looked at some programs that were already happening uh, in the Salt Lake and Park City and Ogden areas for uh, community solar programs. And it's a very simple concept where uh, it's a bulk purchasing program. Um, and it is a, a fully vetted um, selection process where uh, it's kind of a one-stop shop for getting solar. I think one of the main um, reasons people are not moving more that direction is because um, there's a lot to learn. There's a kind of a steep learning curve towards getting um, getting the panels, knowing if you're getting good pricing, knowing if you're getting good products. So we felt like we could... Um, we could jump to, uh, we could do all that legwork for um, residents, and then they could just easily sign up for a program that's already has good pricing and um, has been bid, um, and it's it's very easy. We just sort of simplified the whole process for them, and then there's also this advantage for uh, getting better pricing through the bulk purchase. Now, could I get all my power from solar? How many panels do I have to, you know, yes. for the average house, you can, I can get all my power from solar. You can, yes. Okay. Part of the process here is that you fill out a survey um, online, and it asks for uh, how much uh, your electricity bills are, how much you're using per month, um, and then you can choose how much um, how much power you would like to get from your solar panels, and then they'll design the system towards that. Yeah. Now, do I have to... F- fill all the space on my roof with it to get all the power you know is is it well not, not that i wouldn't want to do that but, you know. <laughs> i guess it depends on um your roof how big your house is uh, whether or not you have roofs that are the right aspect you know you do need a certain um you need to orient your solar panels uh correctly there are if your roofs are not good for solar you can also choose a standalone type system um, that can be mounted separate from your house. Mm-hmm. So. so does this uh, have to connect to a, a battery as well to, to save power? I'm thinking about the last few days where there hasn't been much sun. Well, most people choose to uh, do to connect to the grid. It's called net metering. Um, it's the least expensive way to, um, to do solar, but you can also choose to do a battery backup system. Okay where you are completely you know, off the grid if you want to be. So if you connect with the grid, I guess the, the, when the power is coming in, that what that saved for you, or you get a, a credit for that, and then you, That's right. you get, yes. get that power back. And That's right. And the city works with you on, um, they call it net metering, they install a special meter on your house, and, okay. um, and they credit, credit you that uh, whatever you're generating. So after the initial cost, which it, I think can be somewhat considerable, um, then your bill goes to zero. Well, um, monthly. It, the the interesting thing about solar has become extremely affordable. Over the past five years, um, solar panels have come down roughly sixty sixty five percent from what they were. So it is um, significant uh, in terms of um, how much it's become um, more affordable. Now, uh, it is an initial uh, investment that is significant. But it pays off in about seven to eight years. And then after that, you're basically receiving free power up to they warranty the system for 25 years. Yeah. What is the general cost to install average? Sure, sure. Uh, the cost would be um, roughly, um, depending on how much 
you know, what you choose for your system um, in the ten to fifteen thousand dollar range. But then you get um, you get about forty to fifty percent of that back through incentives. There's federal and state incentives. Um, so within a year, you'll receive about forty to fifty percent back on that. Um, there are also loan uh, programs available associated with the program. Yeah, and so economic benefit alone, I would imagine people will go for this. You know, I think that's what makes it so great. It's um, it's just economically sustainable, as well as environmentally sustainable. Um, really, you can't go wrong. Um, it's a sound investment. Mm-hmm. How what what uh, is progress here? You know, you're advocating this. Are, do we have a growing number of people adopting solar power? We really do. Um, the, the program has been quite successful. We have about 35 participants who um, are installing solar on their homes uh, this year through this program. I'm sure there are others outside of the program doing uh, solar as well. And we have uh, roughly 543 solar panels installed at this mm-hmm. point in time. So if you just joined us, we're uh, talking about uh, an initiative from the Cash, Air, uh, Cash Clean Air Consortium. It's called the Cash Solar Discount Program. And uh, we're talking with Jordy Guth, uh, who is an architect and campus planner based in Logan. I'd love to hear about your solar power. If, you, if, you have a, if you've installed such in your home, how's it working? Uh, would you consider doing doing this? Are there are there problems you could foresee? One eight hundred eight two six one four nine five. We have about five minutes left. Or uh, upraxis at gmail dot com. I'd like to move from uh, solar. Put your architect hat on. Is is I don't know, regulation or just best practices? I assume that we're moving with public buildings and maybe residential building to more energy efficiency and incorporating some of these elements. Yes, definitely. Um, there are l- quite a few programs out there uh, to help you achieve better energy efficiency within your homes to add insulation or new windows uh, or appliances even. You can, um, I think through uh, the EPA and even Rocky Mountain Power, there are certain programs that are available to help you um, do those types of projects and uh, give give you some funding towards that. And then, um, you know, on a larger institutional level, I see a trend for lead buildings. Um, and those are, you know, buildings that are trying to uh, be more energy efficient and be sort of overall uh, more sustainable. Uh, those types of things are implemented on an institutional level in terms of uh, requiring certain um, levels of lead in, uh, like at the university, we do have a requirement now in place for that. What about an older house? You can, I imagine you can retrofit it. It's maybe not the right word, but you know, remodel. Yes, uh, and that's what I was talking about with some of these programs available to help you um, put more insulation or whatnot into your home. How, How much of the cost generally can be defrayed using those programs? You know what? Um, I'm not 100% sure on that, so I. But you. but there are programs available to yes to to take off some of that some of that cost. Um, we do have a caller, uh, Barbara from uh, is it Provo? Uh, Barbara, glad you called. Go ahead with your question or comment. Um, 
you'll have to speak louder because I don't have my hearing oh, aids okay. in, but I needed to get you. In the current issue of Catalyst magazine coming out in Salt Lake, there is a wonderful article on the Oinbe family who's building a house in Salt Lake which will be utterly off the grid and uh, they're using both solar and geothermal thermal and um, and uh, very good insulation etc it was a very interesting article and would be worth looking up okay that's catalyst magazine is what you're saying catalyst mm-hmm. okay we'll we'll have to look that up that sounds interesting so off the grid yeah, and they're it using it was it was amazing yeah. that you could do such a thing in this day and age now at this point it's going to be very expensive for them for what they're doing right but uh, because they're doing it, someone else will, and finally it will catch on. Right, and the costs will come down I, if, if more people adopt it, I'm sure. Yeah, well, thanks to you. Thank you, Barbara. Appreciate that. Certainly. We'll check that out. Bye. Well, glad Barbara called. You could fit a quick call in as well at 1-800-826-1495, or you could email us to upraxcess at uh, gmail.com. So Barbara mentioned that uh, this project, uh, three things that we've been mentioning here, well, two of the three, we didn't mention geothermal, but... Uh, you you construct the house to be very insulated and and very energy efficient. You add solar power, and then they're adding geothermal as well. Yeah, I think there's a lot of um, there are a lot of other great options for um, alternative energy sources. Um, geothermal is is a wonderful um, opportunity as well, um, and I, I know that there are others depending on on where you live. Uh, are uh, do you think more people are going off the grid? Of course, we, we did a program on this a while ago, and so there's an off-the-grid culture. People, you know, some people just want to, you know, not have Big Brother, you know, looking in their lives or providing power to them. But I could see, uh, you know, a future where people just, for economic reasons, perhaps, want to go off-grid. I think there are more people interested in this, uh, whether or not they live in a place that has to be off-the-grid or not. Um, I think that people are watching the technology for um, the battery systems now um, improve and sort of waiting for that technology to become more affordable. Um, there's this new product by Tesla. It's a it's a battery uh, backup system, and it looks very promising. Yeah, um, yeah, that that is that is true. There's a kind of a cool factor there because it comes from Tesla. But uh, yes, right. Yeah, but I think a lot of people are interested in energy independence. Um, you know, it, it does uh, give you, uh, well, more security. So, We have another caller, uh, John from Ogden. Uh, John, welcome to the program. Glad you called. Hi. Um, I heard you just the last couple of minutes, but um, in Ogden, we have just installed 10 panels on our roof uh, through the Weber State uh, university-sponsored Susie Hewlett program, and uh, we expect to cut our uh, electric bill by uh, 95%. Wow, um, that's a big savings. So, and we're hoping for a payoff in about five to seven years, and then it'll be running in the black. That's that's great. That's great. Congratulations on that. Uh, so what? Uh, as you were looking at this, what were there... Difficulties you you thought you had to work through? Is there? We were concerned about the expense, the upfront expense, but we found that uh, 
because we needed a new roof, we were able to roll our roofing expenses into the program, into the project. Uh, we were able to look at a very uh, low-cost loan from a credit union, um, which gave us the startup money and will um, have us, you know, running until we get a tax credit in the coming year. And, um, you know, prices have come down quite a bit. Uh, the company that did the installation was vetted through uh, the Susie Hewlett program. And, you know, all of our concerns were pretty much washed away. Well, that sounds great. And, and tell me again, you're, you'll, you'll have 95% savings uh, after you pay this off, I guess. We're expecting that um, for the summer months, we'll be only paying our connection fee and building up credit towards the winter months. And during the winter months, we don't expect to go over um, maybe 20 bucks a month. Um, that's that's, so that's we should net, wonderful. Net ninety five percent of our, our uh, energy use should come through our ten panels. Well, that's that's wonderful. That's uh, that's I think encouraging for other people who who may be listening. Thanks, John, for sharing your experience. I think that the important thing here is that the prices have come down, and it's not something for wealthy people to do anymore. Uh, even you know an average income uh, family can uh, go solar. Great, great. Well, thank you, John. Appreciate that. You're welcome. Yeah, it sounds like a very encouraging uh, experience. So, uh, Jordy Guth, uh, I guess you would echo that. It's not just for rich people anymore. Yes, uh, that's very, uh, very true and very wonderful. I think now that this is available, and um, we are working with first-time homeowners on on um, implementing solar, and I think uh, with the loan programs and with the low interest rates that are available right now, it's a sound investment. And and really, when you think about paying, you have a an electricity bill every month. You're already paying that. So if, if you buy solar, but you put that money now towards the loan payoff, it's the same thing. And then at the end of the payoff period, whether it's five years, seven years, um, at that point, then you're just in the black. It's it, You're saving money. We have a couple minutes left. Uh, I know we ha- you have some workshops coming up. You want to tell me yes. about that? That's right. So um, the, our uh, cash discount solar program is still active and will be active for several more months. Um, we have uh, a workshop on September 23rd at 6 o'clock at City Hall here in Logan. And then again on October 21st at 6 o'clock in the same location. Hope you can come. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a great program, If especially if you're maybe a little timid about this, but have the desire, the, the, those workshops could help you, take you through the whole thing, right? Yep, you can get all your uh, questions answered and um, hopefully help, um, help you on your way. And it sounds like there are other programs out there. Uh, it sounds like John uh, availed himself of uh, a workshop at Weber State University or a program at Weber State University. Uh, so there are programs out there. Um, let's just, uh, at the end here, uh, talk about the uh, Cash Clean Air Consortium. The, the workshops are coming up, the second annual workshops. Uh, that's at the Riverwoods Conference Center. And uh, there, there are several workshops. One of those is in Vision, Utah. We talked about in the first half of the program. Uh, then there's uh, public outreach and marketing, Dr. Edward Stafford and others. Business will be a focus. UCARE will be leading a workshop, and we'll be talking about education, K-12, through as well. Just go to cash, uh, clean air consortium, uh, dot org. We have this uh, an email now that I want to get to here at the end of the program. This is from Tammy. 
who says, my husband and I are building a home in Cache Valley using passive solar design as well as investing in enough solar panels to allow us to be net zero. We are a middle-class family, but because we value clean air and sustainable living, we are making sacrifices. We also invested in an electric car, which has been a minimal expense to us considering savings in gasoline. Sounds like Tammy and her family are, are making some good steps there. Uh, so uh, passive passive solar, how is that different from? Yes, um, so passive solar is a strategy that, as an architect, I'm quite familiar with, um, and it is a really I think uh, best practices in terms of building a building or a home. And I'm so pleased to hear that that there is a, a project here that is focused on that in Cache Valley. Um, what it is, is uh, it's using, you know, the aspects of the site to your advantage. It's using the natural solar gain that you could um, that you could gain in the winter time um, to help heat your home through the the windows that are, um, oriented to the south. Um, okay. You can also use natural ventilation strategies as well to help cool in the summer. And then shading um, that can be placed in strategic spots on the building to avoid the sun when you don't want it. Very good. Sounds like Tabby is using a, a bunch of those things. So uh, Cash Clean Air Consortium is coming up on Monday, and we've been talking this uh, part of the program with uh, Jordy Guth. Welcome, or uh, thanks for coming in. Thank you very much. Um, we hope you'll tune in tomorrow at this time. We'll have the uh, news roundup from the Salt Lake Tribune behind the headlines. That's coming up tomorrow. Thanks for listening today. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and the Utah Shakespeare Festival, featuring the two gentlemen of Verona, in addition to seminars, tours, and more as part of the festival experience. Information at bard.org. This is Utah Public Radio, KUSR HD1 Logan, KUSK HD1 Vernal, KUSL HD1 Richfield, KUST HD1 Moab, KCEU Price, and KUSU FM HD1 Logan. Predatory, green, brown marmorated, gray, black and orange, red backed. There are many species of stink bug in the U.S. Some are native to Utah, while others are adapted transplants. You've probably seen them in your yard and were not aware of the damage they like to do to growing fruits. Think piercing, sucking mouth parts. Diane Alston, Utah State University's extension entomologist, is on today's Zesty Garden. Then we'll have a conversation about coconuts on Petals and Pros. And you can also can salsa on Yes You Can. It's today on the Zesty Garden. The news is coming up next. Mm -hmm.